Hi, Lori Krieg. So good to see you guys. So glad to be with you. I know that the team here has been praying their proverbial heads off uh, for this night and for you guys. And I was praying with one of my older sisters on the way here just uh, for you all and for strength uh, for this night. But uh, so my name is Lori Krieg, and I serve on uh, the board of directors for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. I started a ministry in 2015. Honestly, it started out of just blogging. I shared my story on a blog, and I was like, I don't know if anybody cares. And it turned, it turned out that people wanted to talk about these things. <laughs> and specifically when it came to LGBTQ conversation in the church, that's where my story kind of hangs out, but we're going to be engaging all uh, of sexuality. Oh, my word, am I really doing this all tonight? Uh, <laughs> Uh, aerial view, but hopefully there's things that the Spirit wants to speak to you because we're all sexual beings and we all have broken sexuality, no matter what we're walking in with. Uh, so I started a nonprofit. I podcast. I speak. We've written a book. My husband and I have. Um, it's back there. It's called An Impossible Marriage. But um, I did want to begin. We'll see if I can open this <laughs> with a little caveat. I am coming in with a lot of weakness physically, uh, and I just as I was praying for you guys, um, I just want to say if you're coming in feeling weak too, like maybe you're really wrestling with walking into this room and feeling like I, I'm not even good enough or strong enough to even sit through this conversation, I'm going to feel so much condemnation, if you came in with your own weakness whether that's physical like me, I've got some form of myopathy that God is he's walking with me through it. Uh, but if you came in with your own weakness, I'm going to say something to you that one of my pastors said to us. All you need is need. So if you came in feeling needy and weak, you're in the right spot. And I pray that through the power of God's spirit, this is not going to be a shamey, condemning place. I pray there's conviction, but we're even going to talk about what conviction can mean so that we're not apologizing for existing and we're not slicing our wrists because we're such horrible people. You're loved. You're made in the image of God, and there might be some things we need to confess, but let's talk about that a little bit later, okay? All right. Clicker needs to go on. I think I did it. Okay, also, isn't my title so intense? Sex, Lies, and Truth with Laurie Creek. And then my subtitle, The Lies Might Not Be What We Think They Are. The Truth Might Not Be Either. <laughs> if I can get some, like, spooktastic music. Thank you. I needed that. I needed, like, no, no, no. What's we going to talk about? Okay. All right. <clears throat> so, okay, this is a shaft of light. I'm just going to start with a story. So I remember when I was in college, I was at a Christian university nearby, and my dad was a pastor, and I had felt from a young age uh, these attractions toward the same sex, but I didn't know what to do with them. I was like, I just ignored them. Ignoring stuff works, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it does not. I mean, for a time. <laughs> and uh, I found myself in this, with this friendship, this other Christian girl uh, who I just loved as a friend, and it ended up being this secret same-sex relationship. And I had been engaging in things with her that I knew I shouldn't have. And she walked away from where we were, 
And I remember sitting there, it was a summer day, and the sun was shining through the window, similar to what you see there. And I usually, after engaging in sinful behavior, you know that like rotten, fish, stinky, horrible, self-loathing feeling? Anyone else feel that ever in their life? Okay, cool. <laughs> Don't feel so terrible. For some reason, <laughs> I like felt it like coming up. And then it was like the Holy Spirit just cut through like that shaft of light into that room. And I knew I was loved. Loved right then. And I hadn't even confessed yet. And did you know that in Ephesians 2 that it says that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us? Not when we cleaned it up and when we got all bright and shiny and when we were strong enough, but while we were dead, God loved us so much that he died for us. And I remember my girlfriend coming in the room. I was crying, just overwhelmed with the love of God. And she's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, Jesus loves us. She's like, okay. <laughs> and then the shame like just descended again. So it was brief, but look, I'm telling you about it. 15 years later. So I hope that this conversation today is a little shaft of light of telling you how loved you are because it's really the kindness, tolerance, it's that love of God that leads us to repentance. Okay, so you have this on your worksheet and I recognize it's so teeny tiny that you might need to like either pull out a microscope or take a picture of it and zoom in really far. But I'm gonna share my story via the heart map. Now, if and when I see Jesus someday, he may be like, hey, Lori, cool, 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 you're here. Uh, so I know you like tried to like map the heart and you were way off. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I don't really exactly know what I'm doing, but this heart map, a version of it was taught to me and my husband, Matt, and I, um, again, you're like, oh my gosh, she's talking about this husband. What the heck? She just said she had a girlfriend. We'll talk about that. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I want to share my story via this heart map, and I hope that you can hear your story in this as well, okay? Just because it's going to, we're trying to like relieve, relieve some of the pressure. We're talking about sexuality. We're talking about sin. Let's just whew, let's see ourselves as human beings with a heart. Okay. So we were all born at a very young age. Nobody's going to laugh. Nobody's the one, one dad. Is there a dad in the room that laughed? I need a dad laugh. No one's not open. Okay. Okay. But we were all born. I feel seen. Okay. We were all born. If you look at your next page with these good things inside of us, we call them core needs. To be seen, known, loved, affirmed, delighted in, desired, included. Okay, so we see these all before the fall. For example, to be included. God says when, one thing that wasn't good before the fall was to be alone, right? Like we all want to belong. That's a good desire. To be delighted in. To be seen as unique and special. I'll, I'm going to focus in on this one. To be desired. Don't you all... I hate dodgeball because I'm the person who will get hit in the face with dodgeball. I was that kid in gym class. Like, it was like a magnet. Was anyone else that kid? The face, the ball in the face kid? Just me? Oh, my gosh. Okay, listen. I hate dodgeball because that's me. 
Was there one person over here? Oh, thank you. Okay, I feel better. <laughs> I hate dodgeball, do you know, but do you know what I love? I love being picked first for dodgeball. Because don't you love this feeling if there's a lineup of kids or 20-somethings and someone says, you, I pick you on my team. That is a good desire that God put in us to be chosen. And just like it says, I believe it's in Ephesians 2, that before God created the world, he saw you and he chose you. That's not a bad desire. But you know what a lot of us can do with those good desires to be seen, known, protected, purpose, rested, is we can either go, like a lot of stereotypical West Michiganders, sorry, but this is a lot of us, is when we feel this desire to be seen and known and loved, we can go, oh, I'm just kidding, JK, I didn't want to be picked first, but I hate dodgeball. <laughs> hate it. So it, we can shove it down and be like a stoic. That's the word, a stoic. Or we can run the other way, an addict. I want to be seen and known and loved. Do you see me? Do you know me? Do you love me? Those are probably people you've broken up with because they were a little needy. I still believe all you need is need, but you know what I'm talking about is when you run toward, okay, I want to be picked, I want to be seen, I want to be seen. Or here's, I believe, the proper posture of a Christian is to live in the tension of a Christian mystic is what they may call it hundreds of years ago, but to really say, God... I want to be seen, I want to be picked, I want to be chosen. But I know that I'm never going to actually feel that fully until eternity. But thank you, God, for these little echoes of Eden, these echoes of eternity of when you are picked first for dodgeball. If you praise God, God, thank you, that helped me feel seen by you. That just like makes the gift all the more beautiful. So I didn't know any of that garbage when I was a kid. <laughs> Not garbage. I think it's good. Okay. But <clears throat> so we go back to the page before that, to the, to the heart map. We have these good needs inside, but I was born like you guys with a natural default predisposition or orientation, if you will, to get the good needs of my heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy and don't glorify God. We are all born that way. I had some church acceptable things that I was born with, like performance and getting 4.0s and people pleasing. Like those are like very helpful in the church. <laughs> and not inherently sinful, but I felt from a very young age a, dis a, a draw. And it's hard to say even where the the word attraction when you're like five years old and you feel this draw toward your same sex because you're five. My goodness, you don't understand attraction. But I felt that draw from a very young age. But I grew up in 1980s and 90s, moral majority, evangelical America, where the conversation when it came to LGBTQ was not very graceful or truthful. It was like, this is how I heard it. This wasn't actually how it was, but this is how I heard it. There's a war on marriage. And the homosexual agenda is going to come and kill babies in their cribs or something like that. I don't know. I could be wrong. But So then I felt this draw toward my same sex. And then so I wasn't like, oh, my goodness, this is my version of sexual brokenness that I need to surrender to the lordship of Christ 
like everyone else is called to do. It was like, I got to shut that mess down. <laughs> so good needs, I want to get those good needs met. I, I, ideally, it's, I look through creation to the creator who sees and knows and loves me, right? But I can stop at performing, at people-pleasing. And for me, in these desires toward women, then I have these experiences like I had that girlfriend and, and it was so confusing because I, I think there can be this like sense of like all same-sex relationships, 100%, 100, 100, 100, 100 are like horrible, evil, worshiping Satan. They're, they're not. There's some aspects of them that are good and then there's aspects of them where it feels like they're scratching the itch, but it's like scratching a bug bite. It's never enough. Isn't that kind of like what sin is like? <laughs> Another word we could use there is idolatry. So I have these experiences, and then it messes with my beliefs because I actually believed God's design for marriage. I just didn't know how I could live that out without wanting to kill myself. So emotions. I got, I really, so I go to church every Sunday, and I, I loved God as much as I knew how. Like, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I super love living this double life. I was destroyed inside. I'd cry every week. I'm like, I know it's idolatry, but I don't even know where to bring this. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who is safe. There was no, none of this was happening yet in the early 2000s. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. And so I really believed, because the narrative that was inside the church back then, early 2000s and before, was the story about homosexual people was they were gay, and then they were like sleeping around a lot and like doing a lot of drugs, and then they come to Christ, and then they're magically straight. And I was like, I don't know how to become more Christian. Like, I don't know how do I love Jesus more. I was totally baffled. And so here I was, I was like, okay, so it seems like to be in the church, you have to be straight. I don't know how to be straight. So it seems like the answer in order to satisfy my church's desires for me is I must kill myself. That felt like my only option. Or come out as a lesbian atheist. I say atheist because, again, I believed God's design for marriage, but I didn't think I could live it out. So I was like, it's either this or this. And then what happened? Well, I'm going to finish this. So what do you do with all that? mess inside. If any of you guys are wrestling with your sexuality, with your faith, where do we go to feel better? More sin. <laughs> so our behaviors, and we go back here, duh, 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 duh. we keep circling and circling and circling and circling. Maybe some of you feel that circle at night. So what happened? So one of my friends was like, so it's probably not cool that you're like suicidal and stuff. I was like, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe you should see a counselor. I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably smart. So I reached out to a counselor, and by the grace of God, she was not just any old counselor. Like, she, she walked with God. Like, do you know those people? When you meet them, you're like, I don't even know if your feet are touching the ground. They just kind of, like, float. <laughs> she was one of those ladies. And she was also, like, 6'2", also. So she was very floaty. I don't know if it was the floatiness that made her 6'2", or if she was actually 6'2", but anyway, I digress. But she did not pull out Leviticus 18, 22, 1 Corinthians 6, Romans 1, none of it. 
Do you know what she did to come alongside me? She helped me to feel the deeper needs underneath my wants. Even if they were natural to me because of the fall. And so she'd ask me like super bananas questions like this. So Lori, when you envision the ideal perfect woman, what are you picturing? I was like, I'm not telling you. You're like 60. Ew, no, I'm not telling you. (laughs) And she was like, waited, as saintly people do. And I was so surprised, you guys, because the words that came tumbling out of my mouth were not sexual words. They were heart words. I want to be seen and known and loved. And she looked me in the eye, which is the antidote to shame, And she said, those aren't bad things. You're just running to the wrong place. Now, the right place is not to a dude. That's idolatry, too. And I I was, like, super sassy back then. I've lost all my sass, so just know I'm, like, super sanctified now. (laughs) FYI. She was, like... I was like, well, don't say Jesus is the answer because I've like, I know Jesus and I'm like a super Christian. So she's like, well, the answer is Jesus. (laughs) Don't bite me. (laughs) She said, but Lori, you have a lot of barriers between those good needs and the need meter of your soul. And some of those barriers we're going to talk about tonight, guys. Some of those are lies that we're believing. Shame, self-hatred, confessing personhood instead of sin, trauma that's been done to you. So if you're willing to go on this adventure with me, we're going to dig in to some of the lies and some of the truth. Sex, lies, and truth. Thank you. (laughs) And then we're going to take a break. And then we're going to dive into some pathways to freedom. And then... um, That's going to be, I'm pretty excited for that. I'm trying on some new stuff for you guys, so be excited and scared. Also, maybe, I don't know. No, fear's not of God. Okay, let's get in here. (laughs) Here we go. Before we dive straight away into um, the lies and truth, I just, I need to talk for a hot second about the purpose of our lives. Okay. Do you guys know what the purpose of your life is? Somebody shout it out. The image bearers of God. I mean, yeah, it's good, good, good. And what else? Anything? I'm not going to taboo buzzer you. Right, there's that Westminster Shorter Catechism. <laughs> there it is. That's right, right? That's like what we know. So we, we have these things we can like kind of recite and we, kinda, we, we believe them, but I don't, I just want to talk about this because oh, I'm going to try and stand. God, give me strength. Okay. Because uh, this is important. So true story, bro. I'm pretty bad at talking to high schoolers. I've been trying to talk about sexuality and LGBT with them for like, I don't know, eight years. And like mostly there's giggling, which you would ex- expect, right? But then I tried this on. I said... Forget sexuality. Let's not start there. Let's instead start with what's the purpose of your life. And a lot of people say, and this is from some studies too, a version of this. I'm too echoey. I'm going to sit back down. 
uh, I don't know, like get married and get a good job and make Christian babies and tithes and die. <laughs> I mean, if we're honest, that's like kind of in our head. <laughs> you guys, that's a super, super lame life. No offense. Let me just tell you what the real purpose of our lives is. For humans, empowered by the Holy Spirit to partner with other Christian warriors. Don't you like that? I had to get that in there. My last name means war, and so I'm like, yeah, we're warriors. To push back the darkness and usher in the light. There was good. It got wrecked by the fall, and we're partners in that. And now we get to partner with fellow co-warriors to push back the darkness, empowered by the Holy Spirit to usher in the light so that the world can know God. Another way we could say that is to be one with God, one with the church, and invite others into this oneness. Marriage is not a part of this purpose of your life. When my kids, who are one of my six-year-olds, she's like, Mom, why do I have to go to school? And i got to be honest with you. I want to say, so you can get a job and get out of here. (laughs) Because I'm a mom of an eight, six, and three-year-old, and I am very tired. But I didn't say that. I said, because God, dear Juju, her name's Juliet, we call her Juju. Juju, because God has a good purpose for your life. And he wants you to partner with me and your brother and sister to push back the darkness and usher in the light. She looked at me like I was a little crazy. But she was like, all right, fine. (laughs) But you guys, your focus of your life, the world says your focus of your life is to find your person and make money and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. It's so boring. This is way better. Push back the darkness, usher in the light to advance the kingdom of God. You guys, everything you guys said is great. So let's start here. Okay, but what if God calls you to marriage? Which, ask God about that. As my dear friend Kat says, you ain't owed that. And Paul says singleness is better. But if God calls you to marriage, what is the purpose of marriage? It's to be a picture of the gospel. Ephesians 5, this verse saved our marriage. I won't do a marriage talk. That's for another day. Come on, come on, Lori, focus in. Okay, marriage is a gospel picture. Do you know what what that even means? So here I was, my husband and I, seven years in, I was happily surrendering my version of sexual brokenness to Jesus. And seven years in, a memory of trauma resurfaced for me. And uh, it magnetized to these attractions to the same sex that I was happily surrendering to Jesus. And it produced the fruit of a question. What do you want? The world asks that a lot. I mean, I feel like probably Satan asked that too. But I was like, yeah, why am I even in this marriage? But I can be, just to be honest... I was giving talks on God's design for marriage in that season. And I knew arguments against same-sex marriage. I couldn't argue for God's design for marriage. It's pretty messed up, I know. (laughs) But when I read this verse, the Holy Spirit, this was like months or maybe a year into our marriage pain, 
I read this verse and a light bulb went off. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. I'd heard that verse a trillion times. And I always heard it like at weddings, and it was like, man and woman, something about Christ and the church. But anyway, kiss, let's go to the reception. (laughs) But the Lord illuminated this for me. How different is God from people? Ontologically different. It says in Ephesians 1, he is far above every ruler and power and authority, not only in this life, but in the life to come. At the end of Isaiah, or Isaiah 58 or 59, it says that God lives in eternity. And the entire Bible, did you know this, could be summed up in four words that God will marry us. He wants to be one with you. Marriage is not just something you do. When men and women, if God wants to be one with people, we're made from dust, you guys. We're beloved, but we're made from dust, and God wants to be one with us. Marriage, how different are dudes from women? I mean, kind of different, right? All the jokes, and all men like Lowe's and burping and, I don't know, cigars, right? Every single man, and all women, leggings and yoga, and I don't know, what else do we like? And what? Stanley Cup. Every single woman owns a Stanley Cup. Why are there so many Stanley Cup? It's okay if you have it in the room. We forgive you. No shame. No shame. We're going to talk about shame later. Okay. (laughs) So God wants to be one with us when men and women, if God calls you to marriage, you ain't owed that. If, or God might not be calling you to that. God might be sparing you that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's good, but it's also hard. Okay. When men and women die to self in and through their differences to be one, they show their kids, the neighbors, the people at the grocery store, you all in church, a tiny picture of how much God loves them. Marriage is a gospel picture, guys. I don't, for people, for girls who are like, you don't understand, I love my girlfriend. I don't, I'm sure you do. But it's not the gospel picture that God's design is. You don't understand, I love this person, I'm attracted to this person, I'm sure you do. But it's not what God's the picture of showing the world his love. It's through difference. Dying to self through difference that shows the world how God wants to be one with us. And when God is one with us, then what happens? He produces the fruit of disciples that can only be done. That's another picture in in marriage that only man and woman can produce the fruit of kids. No matter how much someone transitions, they'll never be the other gender. You're never going to have ovaries. You're never going to have penis that works like even if people fully transition you're never actually going to be able to produce the fruit of kids this is not just well it's just the way god made it it's adam and eve not adam and Steve. no no no, guys that's that's too flippant it's a picture of the gospel of how god wants to be one with you but what about singleness Singleness is a gospel picture. I love this verse. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. This is the end. In heaven, none of us are going to be married. There's only one marriage. So if God has called you to singleness, God bless you. 
you get to show us a picture of eternity in how intimate your relationship with Jesus is, in how close your relationships are with brothers and sisters in Christ. You model for us eternity. Thank you. So what about sex, Krieg? Thanks for asking, guys. God's design for sex, I mean, I'll state it, within an opposite sex covenant marriage to one purpose for life, sex says, whoo, that's too quick. So if that's marriage, if that's singleness, if that's the purpose of our life, then what's the purpose of sex? If If marriage is a picture of how much God wants to be one with us, sex is the most intimate form telling the other person, this is how close God wants to be with you. How can we film that? How can that be something we practice outside of the safety of a covenant, dear ones? It's, it's a, God gave it. It's not just, oh, it's just a gift for marriage, and it's like some like secret like magic. Talk to any person who's been married for more than four minutes. (laughs) It's a picture. It's telling the other person, this is how much God loves you. We got to take this seriously, yeah? Because God created these pictures to show him and to show us how much he crazy loves us. So now we're going to step into some of these lies and truth. And so we're going to talk about porn. We're going to talk about lustful relationships, whether with the same sex or the opposite sex. Then we're going to talk about trauma. I have 12 minutes. Okay. We're going to do this. (laughs) Saddle up, cowboys. Okay. Here's a lie. You will always live in a cycle of sin management. I am so, so, so tired of this one. It's not unrelated to the next one. This is a normal, ho-hum, every man or every woman's battle. This is something a lot of people battle. But you just heard what I talked about with what sex is for. And so we got to take this more seriously than you're going to have, this is, well, this is just going to be your struggle for life. My husband was addicted to porn starting at age 11. And when he, he like had a season of sobriety in college, but he was told the same lie. This is always going to be your struggle. Can we just maybe stop saying that? And we can say something like, you may struggle with lust until you see Jesus. You may, but you do not have to habitually engage in porn. Like even saying that just makes the air feel a little bit clearer to me. Can we stop saying, you're definitely going to be enslaved? And for those of you who are hearing this, it's like, well, Lori, I've made promises. I've made it like two days, one day, one week. I hear you. We're going to talk about practical steps forward. But let's just start right here, step one. Let's stop saying that this is definitely always going to be forever your issue. Let's, you may always struggle with lust. My husband still struggles with lust, but he hasn't looked at porn in like seven years. And he was every day since he was 11 till he was like 30. That's a long time, friends. And marriage didn't fix it. And it wasn't just because, it wasn't just because of me and my same-sex attractions. <laughs> it's a heart thing. We'll get there. 
Lie two, this is a normal ho-hum, every man or every woman's battle. I'm so sick of this. We does not have to be true. It may be common, but pornography consumption should not be normal or ho-hum. If I can be honest, it's really challenging. When I was trying to find safe spaces in my church in the early 2000s to talk about my attractions to the same sex, my secret relationship with my girlfriend, I haven't personally struggled with porn. But early in the early 2000s, there was like kind of this revolution happening where dudes were starting to come forward with their, ver their heterosexual pornography addiction on stage and be like, yeah, I, God's going to rescue me. And, and there's a lot of like dude bro elbow things like, yeah, dude, bro, we're going to get through this, bro. So do people do that? No, they don't do that still. It's a lot of dude bro elbowing. I just remember that. But I also remember that uh, those dude bros would get off stage and out of their same mouths of confessing heterosexual pornography addiction came words of vitriol and hatred for people like me. Why does that get to be ho-hum, every man, every woman's battle, but somehow the, the, I killed Jesus more? All sin is equal, and this doesn't mean, oh, let's just lower the bar. Everybody's, everybody's messing up, so who cares? Nuh-uh. God can help us in this space, and let's start by believing it. Okay, I don't say these to shame you. I'm just saying these in case this is helpful. Porn facts. Research consistently shows that porn consumers are two times as likely to later report experiencing a divorce or breakup, even after controlling for marital happiness. Research indicates that porn can be escalating behavior. In fact, according to one 2016 study, 46.9% of respondents reported that over time they began watching pornography they had previously disinterested or disgusted them. Porn is getting younger, People are watching younger kids in porn and more violent. I know you guys don't want to do that. Just saying, let's, let's, let's look at this. Let's look this in the face. Porn facts of domestic minor trafficking victims who had been forced into porn. The average age that began being filmed was 12.8 years old. Domestic, that's in the U.S., Porn facts, research indicates that porn consumers are more likely to sexually objectify and dehumanize others, to express intent to rape, to, in, to less likely to intervene during sexual assault, more likely to victim blame survivors of sexual assault, more likely to support violence against women, more likely to forward sex without consent, and more likely to commit acts of sexual violence. If you think, and I say this tenderly, dear ones, this is pot kettle, okay? Sexual sinners, sexual sinners. If you think you can manage this here, it's bleeding out, and it will. I remember Matt, he was so kind to me that first year of marriage, he had like, he was able to get the habit of porn out of his life. Then it came back when he hit a season of depression, and about six years in, he's very kind. He's an amazing person now, but back then, he got mean, and here's why. When you're addicted to porn, the dopamine oxytocin explosion that's happening, it actually connects you to the screen. God made your brain to wire to one person for life. So you're wiring to the screen. And he's supposed to be in a covenant relationship to me. And do you know what that created to me? I became the out group. I became the one that he, that he like, instead of saying, I'm covenanted to you, this is the out group. I'm going to co commit to this marriage 
he was committing here with his mind and body, and so I became the outgroup, and so he was aggressive toward me. He wasn't violent, he wasn't abusive, but I was like, why is he so mean? It's like, I guess this is what heterosexual marriage is. It just sucks. <laughs> Ouch. It doesn't. It's so, it's night and day different. After his confession, he hasn't looked at it since. Does he struggle with lust? Yeah. But he's not owned by porn. Okay. Another lie. Getting rid of screens and or putting porn blockers on your phone will be the primary reason you are victorious over porn addiction. I see a lot of people put their porn blockers on. I know you guys can get around it. And this, I'm sure you've done this and you haven't been victorious. This can be a good stopgap. This can be like good accountability. Hey, like calling someone when you're about to do something stupid. It can make you think before you step toward it. But porn blocking tools can be helpful, but only running after what you truly need. Core needs from God and people will you experience any victory. This is harder. It's what Matt did. It's what I'm doing. It's what we're both doing. I can easily engage my heart and have deep relationships while managing my porn habits. This is anecdotal. I do a lot of life coaching for people in this sexuality space. And they'll come to me with their broken hearts and their addictions, and they're like, well, yeah, just have that thing over here. And I keep, this is the only way I know how to describe it, I keep trying to get my hands around their heart to try and work with them to be sensitive to the spirit and be sensitive to what God, to, to even feel those deeper needs. It took Matt probably, it took like at least a month for him to even admit he was addicted from, from never looking at it for a month. Another six months to really feel more of his heart and probably another year to really wake up to the cost of what that had done to our family. Here's the truth. You cannot serve both God and anything. Porn, the secret relationship, whatever, is, is not your pet to manage. You can't. And maybe that's a step of admittance today is, God, I can't do this. Help me. And then talk to someone. Okay, so that was brief. <laughs> We're going to go back into some freedom there, but we're going to look at lustful relationships. What is lust, though? Lust is mentally approaching people as objects you are going to consume. This can happen in marriage. If you are not engaging sex as in marriage, which I'm thinking very few people in here are married, but for those of you who are, if you're Approaching sex is either a transaction or whatever. Here's my body. If I can have some of your heart. That's, I would say, not God's design at best. If you're approaching it this way, it's sin. But if you're approaching it with here, I just want to show you how much God stinking loves you. It takes more work, but it's worth it. If God's called you to marriage, shh, we're not owed that. Okay, so what's some lies? Attraction is a sin. This is not super hard for people who are attracted to the opposite sex, but when I meet with people who are attracted to the same sex, 
sometimes there's just like they feel this draw toward the same sex. They just notice someone and then they just hate themselves. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. Did Jesus wrestle with same-sex attractions? I have no idea. I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> but we have a great high priest who is able to empathize, not just sympathize. Look, look kind of down. Oh, you little humans empathize with our weaknesses, yet he was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. Attraction, temptation is not a sin. Now, what we do with that mentally, once it jumps to lust or trying to consume, that's where we get to sin. And you're like, yeah. All right. So attraction is a part of life that can reveal our heart's desires, good or bad, and can show us God's desire for us. So when we feel these draws toward people, so this is, this is getting a little bit more into the freedom piece. Uh, when I, so my husband and I are real weird, if you couldn't tell. Our marriage is weird. Everything about us is weird. <laughs> In a good way, I hope. But we say, if one of us is wrestling with lust, we'll often scale it. Hey, how are you doing in the lustometer? We even call it that. I told you, we're weird. <laughs> and maybe we're usually hanging out at like a 4 out of 10. That's kind of like our baseline. But if we're hitting like a 5, 6, 7 out of 10, 8, you know, we're just like realizing, okay, we need to like put things on lockdown. Not that those are the answer, but then we need to start asking our hearts some questions. So one of those questions we ask, like, let's say there's a person that we're wrestling with. Hey, I'm really attracted to this person. I don't know what to do with that. And instead of, like, keeping it quiet and, like, letting it fester, because if you keep sin in the dark, it just, like, keeps growing and growing, like, growing tendrils and, like, kills somebody. Not really. But um, we say, okay, let's talk about that person. What is it about that person that you're drawn to? What is that person promising you in your mind, in your fantasy head? So we talk about this in our marriage. <laughs> You have to be strong in the Lord to be able to have these conversations, not so insecure. What is that person promising you? And I feel like, honestly, you guys, it always goes back to core needs, I promise. You know, I feel like, man, I just really can imagine just being pursued, sought, desired. I really can envision, like, I don't know, I'm so exhausted just, like, being with them. Like, someone would just let me be quiet for a while, rested. Okay. So how can you get that met in a healthy way? Another way we do that is you take that need and instead of taking that empty hole in your heart to a thing, it can help us say, do you know who is always pursuing you? Do you know who's always drawn to you? If marriage is a picture of how God wants to be one with us, I love just meditating on some of these verses. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she's born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. God longs for you, dear ones. We can look at the whole book of Song of Solomon. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messenger. Look at, we're so evil. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. When you want to be drawn, you're like, maybe I just want someone to pursue me. God is drawn to you. Lie to everyone's doing it, so I'll try and get through these next ones in the next five minutes, guys. 
come on, we, let's, like when you actually say this one out loud, it's like a little ridiculous. Everyone might be doing it. 87% of Christian single people believe it's okay to have sex before marriage. That was from like 2016. I bet that's higher. Oh, 2014, look. 17% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. Now, that's not in and of, that's not evil. That's just showing us. Because I don't know what they're doing with their LGBT selves. I identify in the LGBT world, but I'm surrendering to Jesus. I'm not saying in and of itself that's evil. I'm just saying it's a high percentage. So even if everyone is, quote, doing it, a lot of people are doing it. (laughs) That's not an excuse for God's people to look like the world. In the Old Testament, everyone was like bowing to the Asherah poles and like everybody was. And they're like, please, God, we just want to be like them. And they're like, we're going to do that. And he's, he wasn't like, all right, fine, you little stinkers. <laughs> no, he's like, your idols are detestable to me. And then he gets to uh, Babylon and Assyria and man, you know, the whole, the whole thing. They get busted by God because he loved them so much. Line number three, I need a relationship to place my desires. Our lustful desires need to go to the cross. That's all I got for that one. Let's talk trauma. So I've experienced sexual assault. Some of you may have too in this room, I'm I'm sure. It's like at least 25% of women, at least a fifth or a seventh of men. So I'm sorry. And I wish I could do a whole series on that, uh, but I can't. We do talk about it a lot. That's a big focus of our book, Impossible Marriage, is me processing through that. So I'm just going to state some things here. Uh, just, just again, clear the air. Let's just get some truth in here. It's not your fault. It's your perpetrator and the enemy of your soul's fault. This is hard to believe when you've been perpetrated against. Lie. He deserves this. Satan deserves this. And yet Jesus paid the price of it all. Lie three, you will always be cracked and broken. The truth is God's specialty is making broken things stronger and more beautiful. I remember when I was really grieving through my own trauma and I could not see. Other people would be like, God is going to use this somehow. And I was like, shut your dumb face. (laughs) Don't tell me that. And then the first time I was grateful for my story and processing it was when I worked with at-risk youth in California, in Lodi, California, with girls especially and some guys uh, well, we were working with youth who, uh, a lot of them were entering gangs. And um, hearing some of their stories of trauma, it was really a privilege to say, I hear you, and this hurts, and I can't get your exact pain because no one can know your pain but you and the Holy Spirit. But I get it at some level. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like that empathy of modeling Emmanuel, God with us. There's no empathy like his, but if we can model that for each other, that's, that's no joke. I feel like I need to say this real quick. There's a stigma around young boys and young men who've been sexually assaulted. 
Like they especially keep it quiet. If that's one of you, maybe the Holy Spirit's pinpricking your heart. This is not a, I'm going to go confess that I did this, but to say, hey, that's me. I just need someone to carry this burden with me. You're not alone. You guys have probably heard of this. It's like almost a joke at this point because so many people say it, but I couldn't not say this. So there's this Japanese art form. You guys heard of this? Where they take pottery that's broken and they fill the cracks with gold dust and this special glue. And when they put it back together, it's stronger than if it had never been broken. <laughs> 